Welcome back to the Extension Experience Podcast. My name is Trent Malachik. I'm Dana Zook. And Josh Bichon. The gang is back together again today to talk about nitrate (laughs) toxicity. Sure. And prussic acid poisoning. What's the difference? You really are going to ask that? (laughs) Toxicity (laughs) and poisoning. They're both bad. How about that? Well, we just realized that our nitrate fact sheet says nitrate toxicity and our prussic acid poison. Fact sheet says poisoning. Yeah, well, we don't have to have the answer to that. I just thought it was interesting. Yeah. That is interesting that we've been in the job nine years, mm-hmm. and we didn't notice that till today. See, see, I consider a nutrient that's useful consumed in too large of amount is toxicity versus prussic acid poisoning, as Josh so eloquently put. I already forgot. <laughs> no amount of cyanide yeah. gas is helpful. Death. <laughs> Death. You said death, Josh. Yeah, yeah. yeah, You you can't really consume a clinical dose of cyanide gas and really get any benefits from it. Right. So, so that's where we've gone with that. But but this topic starts because we've had a lot of questions about hay marketing, hay sales, and things of that nature. And nitrates have been a huge topic of concern this summer. And you know, there's there's reason for concern, but then sometimes, in my opinion, that gets a little blown out of proportion, especially into crops that we don't typically have issues with. So then it becomes every single bale of hay that's sold, well, is it toxic? Is it not? And it's like, well, for the most part, in my experience, most of the hay we put up is relatively safe. So maybe you two can kind of talk about how we make sure we get that done or how, how we tested. Well... You guys tested a lot of different forages this summer while I was gone, right? Like, oh, yeah. Like Lucky 12, you. Like 12 a day. <laughs> yeah, I was just home taking care of a newborn. My life was really easy, Trent. Thanks. <laughs> I didn't say it was easy. <laughs> anyway, uh, <laughs> so, I mean, I think the issue comes to where we're, we're bailing forages that we don't typically use for forage. Is that the thing? No, it is. A lot of it was, <clears throat> a lot of it was typical forage, but some of it was trying to utilize some summer crops that failed. So there was okay. some of that, but OSU Extension did a good job getting the word out and that kind of bombarded a lot of Extension offices and getting those forages tested, which was good, but uh, we had a lot of education we found out that needed to, to continue. So uh, a lot of producers, farmers brought in some samples. They just said, test it. They didn't know there's difference between nitrates and prussic acid and stuff like that. So. It is a big learning experience for a lot of people, and like Trent said, most of the time we're safe, but never hurts to double check. So well, and it's the thing where just the just to be clear, the testing that we do in the office is a um, qualitative test. So we see is that the right term, guys? You, yeah. you see whether it's present or not. We have a drop test that we do for nitrates, and we see it shows whether it's present. But it doesn't necessarily if it's present, it doesn't necessarily mean it's toxic. And I would argue that most plants accumulate just a tiny bit. Yeah. And that's so, how we form proteins in the plants. So. Right. Well, so. Yeah. I'm going to go on record as saying I think that test is uh, very annoying and not very useful. Well, I think all of, <laughs> us, all of us probably agree with you. And it and it will burn holes in your jeans. So don't wipe your yeah. pants after you put it on. Yeah. I've made a few work jeans. Yeah. Because of spills. And so the prussic acid kit that we give out where you... You're cutting little the leaves of the plant into a bag with a test strip. That's also a qualitative um, test where we see whether the strip turns 
a bluish purplish color after 15 minutes. So I would say both those tests are helpful in some ways, but not necessarily telling the whole story. Like you said, Trent, should we jump to a conclusion that it's that it's toxic and we can't feed it and we should just burn it or or should we, you know, maybe find out more of the story? Yeah, my high nitrate hay had the best protein. Well, so that goes back to what Josh was saying. Yeah. We, we do see that. Because I tested like single plants of Milo and I had one that was over 10,000, but the protein was over 20% <laughs> yeah. on that one Milo plant. Well, you so hope one cow doesn't eat that entire Milo plant. Well, yeah, but that was whenever I was doing uh, just pull samples out of the field before I cut it for hay. Right. And then after I cut it for hay, those levels dropped, you know, into the two and three thousands and then the four and five thousands. Yeah. So it very different than just single plants. So Josh, why don't you, you probably could do this better than Trent or I tell us like agronomically how night, let's talk about nitrates first are accumulated. Is that good? Sure. Uh, like I said, it, it's a natural plant process. That's how we build proteins and grow the plant. So, uh, some species of plants are more prone to accumulating those nitrates. Uh, so when a plant starts accumulating more, uh, basically, it's typically a stress plant. And so obviously we were hot and dry going through that big drought. Uh, we had a lot of stressed plants out there that weren't growing because of the lack of moisture. It's too hot to grow. Uh, so the plant roots were still trying to pump water and nitrates and it was just sitting there accumulating. So... In a natural growth environment, the plant would start converting those nitrates and building proteins and growing, uh, which builds forage. And like Trent said, adds to our protein for feed value. But uh, under stressful conditions, which like I said, can be environmental, heat, drought, even freeze events, uh, we'll have some more issues. But other plant stresses as well, uh, insect feeding, diseases, uh, even soil fertility. And that's one misconception I would say is out there is that, well, I didn't even fertilize it, or this is a, uh, a pasture that I haven't fertilized in several years. Well, sometimes that can be a hindrance. Uh, most of the time we're talking about fertility, soil fertility fertilizers, we're thinking about nitrogen, but uh, if the soil is deficient on potassium, phosphorus, or even sulfur, uh, there's some literature out there that says that plant's going to be more stressed. It might accumulate more nitrates because it can't uh, build those proteins as efficiently so you're accumulating more nit nitrates in the plant so a stress plant nutrient deficiencies environmental conditions uh, basically anytime that plant is struggling not growing like it should we have a higher risk of the nitrates anyway so obviously irrigation would would have helped for some guys but that's not an option for most but having healthy uh Crop starts with good soil fertility. We start with soil sample and base it off of there. We might need some nitrogen out there for really farming depleted soils. Uh, but like I said, keeping track of your phosphorus, potassium, and even sulfur uh, can go a long way. And we saw a lot of insect pressure this year. Grasshoppers, armyworms, uh, so on and so forth. That was also stressing out the plant. That could have attributed some. And so when we're thinking about the plant, you kind of break the plant up in different parts. Uh, we all know the stem, especially lower down the stem, the plant accumulates more nitrates in that area. Leaves are less, and then the head and grain is uh, less nitrates. But uh, also the maturity of the plant. Uh, so we're doing all these samples, like you said, the, in the office with the drop test with the nitrates or the 
the strips with the prussic acid. Uh, sometimes leaving the plant out there a little bit longer. Uh, there's some other literature out there that says the more mature the plant, less likely you'll have nitrate accumulation. But uh, it kind of goes back to producing a good forage. We want to harvest it in a timely fashion. The later we harvest, yeah, we might get more biomass, but the quality of the forage goes down, feed value and all that. So uh, some of it we left out there, some of it, but it took us a week and a half, two weeks to get those results back from the lab in Stillwater. And so that kind of remedied it. But that also led to other issues where nitrates fluctuate. Uh, we get warm, sunny days or we get uh, overcast, cloudy, cool days. That plant's going to change its pathways and uh, things fluctuate. And so for the most part, if we're going to spend that six bucks on the nitrate test, I'd just wait till you had it in the bale and we had more accurate idea of what we're actually working with yeah and then you can core sample a couple bales more than a couple hopefully yeah. but and once then it's in it. the bell it's not right. going to change it's not going to change for the nitrates yeah. for the nitrates right it sounds mm -hmm. like a problem that just is impossible to solve really <laughs> you make it sound horrible josh <laughs> yeah you bored me with science there <laughs> so when, it, when it comes to coring samples i found 10 to 12 cores i'll fill one of those one of those hay sampling cores tools that we have and that pretty much fills a bag but you also got to think about and and this is the lab rat and me coming out when i worked in the soil lab you know you take a forage bag and you dry it in the oven and then you grind it and then you take a portion of that bag and then from that portion of that bag you take a very tiny sample and run the nitrates on it so none of this is perfect you know i i did a drop test this summer on crabgrass and it turned colors. Mm -hmm. So there were nitrates present in crabgrass and mm -hmm. we never tend to worry about it. So it's just something that I'm not trying to downplay the importance of it. I'm just trying to help people understand their risk. And, right. and you know, there's different plants that are nitrate accumulators and Josh, out of all that, didn't tell me what causes that. But it tends to be our sorghums, it seems like, our Johnson grass, our mm -hmm. Milo's, Sudan grass, those types of things from that lineage tend to be the worst. Mm -hmm. And pigweed. <laughs> and pigweed, be, yes, all those bad a, things. So it's kind of like they got a big stem on them. They'll accumulate nitrates for some reason. Why don't legumes accumulate nitrates? They're high in protein. They do. Or nit yeah, Alfalfa is so. known to, sweet clover, I've seen some stuff, have high nitrates. <clears throat> Pretty Oats. much everything's on the board. It's just usually, like you said, we don't typically see those issues but they could be even mm -hmm. some of our cool season grasses we've seen you know rye oats barley uh, triticale uh, they have potential of having nitrate issues so when the plant is stressed anything really could be a nitrate kind of throws off the whole system yeah what i've gathered anyway so, so should I tell them the the levels? Well, that's what I was going to get to. Okay, I've been dogging, sorry, on, I've been dogging <laughs> on the testing, and I've been uh, talking a little bit of uh, shade on all that testing process and everything. But there are different levels of toxicity. And the, again, that's the difference between poisoning and toxicity. There's a certain level of nitrates that are perfectly okay for cattle. And that's when I've been educating producers, that's mm -hmm. the thing they don't necessarily understand. So I'll let Dana uh, verbatim read you the chart. <laughs> no, I won't of, do that. Of the different levels that are safe and unsafe. And and then again, pay attention to the, the stage of your cow and her status as pregnant or and things right. like that. Yeah. So I'm not going to read you verbatim. Oh. I wanted, wanted to point out though, that our lab, the OSU lab, tests nitrates different than some other labs. So if you get a Servitec lab, 
or, you know, you test nitrates in different ways. And so not all results mean exactly the same thing. So when I say that this, that our levels, that doesn't mean the other labs results would be the same. Okay. So it's nitrates, percentage nitrates, nitrite, like there's a variety of different things and I'm not going to go down that chemistry rabbit hole, but typically under 3000 parts per million nitrate is generally safe for all animals pregnant, calves, whatever. When we get above 3000, that's when it gets a little fuzzy. So we have a, an excellent tool, like a calculator, nitrate calculator that Earl Ward has created that helps us kind of dilute if we can dilute um, rations. And so, or dilute hay quality and just tell producers, hey, you can only feed 10 pounds of this before an animal is gonna, could, could have um, issues with toxicity. Now, toxicity can come out in um, maybe you may not ever notice it until you go to um, preg check cows and you have a bunch of open cows, causes abortions, um, and that sort of thing. So 3,000 to 5,000, um, anything is, is safe for non, anything above 3,000, let's just say anything above 3,000, you could have issues with um, pregnant, any pregnant animals. Um, anything above 5,000 could be risk for calves, but like Trent, you said, we don't need to go all crazy on this. We can manage it. It doesn't necessarily mean that your cows are just going to fall over and die, but we want to manage it and have the idea and have the knowledge, right? Get it tested mm -hmm. and our tests are cheaper until the end of the year. So have the knowledge of that. Well, I didn't want to put that information out there because my tests are taking a while to get back in. Anyway. Oh. So, <laughs> I, but that is something to consider is if you turn in a test right now, it's taking over two weeks to get results back just for nitrates. Right. So they're so inundated over there that you have to kind of plan ahead. Don't, plan ahead, yes. Don't buy some questionable hay expecting to feed it tomorrow. Right. Even if you bring us a plant to drop test, that isn't going to do you any good in terms of knowing these levels. And then and then as this comes back to like the, the co-op can dilute dilute out the grain and, and make a higher profit on that. Yeah. When it comes to diluting nitrates, I mean, you got to talk about the whole diet. Are right. they getting nitrates from their water? Are they getting nitrate? Like if you're mixing, hay, mixing hay, all hay has some nitrate level to it. Mm -hmm. So it's not like you're going to mix straw with zero nitrate. Well, straw might be pretty close, but you know, it's, you might have a hay source. that's a thousand parts per million that you're mixing with a hay source. that's 6,000 parts per million. And you might have to mix in a lot of hay to get it down to safe levels. So Absolutely. And we have to have the knowledge of that. Otherwise, it's just a guess. Like you said, it's a, it's kind of a guess anyway. And now, you know, it depends yeah. on your level of guessing here. Well, sampling so, error. Yes. Sampling error can be huge. Right. Right. So if you only take one core sample from one bale, mm -hmm. <laughs> that doesn't give you a very good idea. And the thing is also, you can feed some grain, um, which helps kind of... Um, balance the effect of nitrates so if you have any questions about that if you if you want to use some higher nitrate forages want to feed it to maybe some growing calves you can dilute that impact by feeding grain now we're not saying a hay feeder here and a hay feed a hay feeder here with a high nitrate bale and a hay feeder here with a low nitrate bale those cows aren't gonna just blend that for you no. <laughs> so that doesn't really work diluting that nitrate so there's, you know, full right. disclosure there. You really have to mix it to be yeah. able to do that. Yeah, in my experience, my cows will sit at whatever hay bale's closest and fill their gut. Right. And so, so yeah, that's a good point, though, because you think about, well, if I, I feed two hay sources, they'll mix it. You got to have a tub grinder 
pretty much a tub grinder. Even a flaker or something like that isn't going to get it mixed to the point where you can be 100% sure. Right. Right. Um, should we talk prosec? Sure. Just We brought it up. Yeah. Right? So, Josh, how is that different, like, in the plant? Is it, you know, how is it different than nitrates? Uh, honestly, I don't know as much about it and others, but it's, it's another one of those chemical pathways that the plant utilizes, uh, but in certain instances where it's stressed, uh, drought stress we saw this summer, usually we have more issues with it going into winter when we get those first killing freezes. Uh, so we have to wait for a week or more uh, to be safe there. But After the freeze, after right? After the freeze. Okay. Uh, so that's one of the things that's... It, I'd say overall we see less issues with, but it, you can go out there and find, you know, a handful of head laying on their ground if they got into a hot patch or something. Mm -hmm. So it is scary if you've ever experienced it, but for the most part, I'd say it's less likely than the nitrates uh, from other plant stresses that we've seen this summer. Is this something we generally worry about, nitrate and prussic acid, when it comes to turning cattle out into a new pasture versus one they've been grazing? Like is or is this something that can can show up in grazed pastures if the cattle have been out there all summer? I'd say the Prusik is probably more on the older growth. And nitrates, we usually have more issues on the regrowth. Um, like you said, turning back out into something that's already been grazed or hayed off. Um, like most of our sorghum sudan type grasses, like you mentioned earlier, uh, you usually want to wait till they're, you know, uh, 18 inches or two feet tall or so before we turn out on them. Uh, it's just a little bit safer. The leaf, like I said, it's lower concentration. Once we start grazing too heavily and get into those stems, we see more issues. So w what I typically say, and correct me, is we see the prussic acid in the, in the leaves, yeah. right? Because cattle will graze that. And then we, when we, till we test um, most of them, um, the stem and that sort of thing. That's where accumulation of nitrates is typically more so. But it can be in the whole plant. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Um, prussic acid, it's kind of a weird thing. We were discussing that before now. It's actually, it's a cyanide, uh, but cows will actually consume it, and the reaction of the, the poisoning occurs in the rumen. Now, there's been some... <laughs> We always wonder, cyanide gas, you think, breathing it in, but it actually occurs through the rumen, um, confirmed by several nutritionists. Um, so it's kind of a complicated process, but they do, it is overcoming. So when you see cows just with grass in their mouth, doesn't necessarily mean they chewed that grass and that grass is prussic acid poisoned. It's all this, they, they were grazing, 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 and all of a sudden they fall over and they're overcome by that prussic acid issue. So um, that's kind of how that occurs. It is kind of scary. I've seen it one time, not in, you know, not seeing the cows die, but I've seen them dead in, in the fence row. So that's strange. It's kind of a strange thing. Hopefully, like you said, yeah. it doesn't occur very often. Yeah. I think it's important to think about that. That cow's rumen is kind of like a big witch's cauldron, you know, and there's mm -hmm. a lot of gas yeah. coming out of there and, and it's those breaking down of potentially harmless, you know, chemical strains into simpler forms or things like that, right. that then release these other chemicals that can be toxic yeah yeah so that's kind of how that occurs it is a little bit more of a, a different reaction very good well, that's a lot of information on nitrate toxicity and prussic acid we, we don't mean to make light of the situation but i do i think it's important to know what you're looking for and know why you're doing things 
So that's where we, you know, we try to educate. If you come in and ask for your hay tested, you know, you're not going to get turned away, but we, we try to have a conversation about what we're looking for and the limitations of our testing abilities as well. And sometimes it gets overlooked, you know, having that yeah. cow that keeps slipping calves or something, maybe she's more susceptible to nitrates. Absolutely, Josh. Good so, point. Yeah. yeah. You're feeding some low, low toxicity level, but still a problem hay mm-hmm. for a long time and it affects different cows uh, differently. And you see that with, with humans too, yeah. you know, our older and younger population are more at risk for high nitrate water. Right. And and that can kind of, you know, that, that process of thinking can translate over. But if you have any questions about this, obviously feel free to reach out to us. We'd love to answer your questions. And this is something that when it does affect you, it's not usually just one animal, you know, and it can be pretty devastating to your, to your cow herd. So there's, there's a reason for caution. There's a reason to be interested in this, but uh, one thing I didn't hear you guys ask real quick is prussic acid something that's plant specific in terms of genus, Josh, or is there are some species more prone. Like I said, I'm less versed in prussic acid than nitrates, but uh, there are some species, and even in those tests we do, there are certain yeah uh, plants we go after to verify those strips are working. So there are some species that are more prone to prussic than others. I don't know more. Johnson grass for sure. Yeah, yeah more a similar the similar plants honestly um, to nitrate poisoning, the Sudan mm-hmm. grasses and that sort of thing. Especially when it freezes, if you have a hard frost, killing frost, you want to lay off those um, Milo sorghum Sudan Sudan grass, Johnson grass for about a week to let that dissipate. Very few problems with natives. From oh what yeah, I know of. yeah. So I wouldn't think so. so these introduced forages that you really mm-hmm. have to be concerned with, but. Johnson, if you're not used to this area, you would think Johnson grass was native because it does very well. It is well. everywhere. It is everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> but, and that's, that's the thing. Like how concerned should we be? It's, it's good to have a conversation. Where is this Johnson grass? How it is it? Yeah. We used to plant Johnson grass from seed. That's mm-hmm. how it got yeah. started. Isn't that so wild? Some guys still make hay out of it and sell it. So. Oh, yeah, well, I this year a lot. <laughs> I definitely do. It's high tonnage material. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's perennial. So. Yeah, cows do well on it, but you got to understand the limitations. I've tried to quit three times. I think I'll do it right now. <laughs> okay. But, but so, yeah, so again, like we said, feel free to reach out to us. We're glad to answer your questions. And with that, we'll catch you next time.